Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. In this episode, two of my dearest interests intersect women's medical history and royal history. Before the benefit of modern medicine, it is incomprehensible how many women died during the process of giving life. Their contributions to society, their children and families lost forever. While we will never know the stories of most of these women, we can get a sense of the measure and misfortune of maternal mortality from the accounts of the seven royal women who did have their tragic tales recorded. And now, without further ado. Though giving birth is not exactly a day at the spa, modern medicine has made huge leaps in keeping mothers and babies alive and healthy through the ordeal of childbirth. In Europe in the Middle Ages, about one in three women died in their childbearing years, and women routinely wrote their wills upon discovering that they were pregnant. Any number of things could go wrong, including obstructed labor, hemorrhage, and eclampsia. Women were especially susceptible to infection during childbirth in the time before antiseptic, and many died of childbed fever days after a delivery. In addition, doctors had a complete lack of understanding of female anatomy and believed that our reproductive organs were simply male organs turned inward. Royal women's wealth and status was no protection against these dangers. In fact, their risks were increased as it was seen as their duty to have as many children as possible. The royal custom was to shun breastfeeding, a natural birth control, and hand the new baby over to a wet nurse so the mother could get back into the marriage bed as quickly as possible and access to doctors with the latest, often harmful, medical interventions didn't help a queen's chances. Here are the stories of seven queens and princesses of England who died tragically as the result of childbirth. Isabella of England Isabella was the fourth child of King John and Isabella of Angoulême. At 21, she married the twice-widowed 40-year-old Emperor Frederick II. She was crowned Holy Roman Empress, Queen of Germany and Sicily. Once in Germany, her husband dismissed all but two of her ladies, and Isabella was isolated in her new country. Frederick, who had spent a great deal of time in the Middle East while on crusade, had a harem of Arabian women guarded by eunuchs, to which he added his new bride. During their six years of marriage, Isabella gave birth to four or five children, at least one of whom died in infancy. She died giving birth to a daughter, Margaret. Isabella was 27. Marie de Bouin. Mary was an English and Welsh aristocrat and member of the Lancastrian side of the War of the Roses. Upon her father's death, Mary and her elder sister Eleanor each inherited half of his vast estate. 
Eleanor's husband wanted to take control of both halves of the fortune, so he kidnapped Mary and cloistered her in a nunnery. John of Gaunt, third son of King Edward III, abducted the 12-year-old Mary and wed her to his 14-year-old son, Henry. The marriage between the adolescents was supposed to remain unconsummated until they were older, but the newlyweds found their way to each other and Mary was pregnant by 16. Her first child only lived a few days. She went on to have six more children. Mary died at the age of 26, giving birth to her second daughter, Philippa. Five years after Mary's death, her husband murdered his cousin, Richard II, and seized the throne, becoming King Henry IV. Mary's eldest son later became Henry V, one of the greatest warrior kings of the Middle Ages. Both of her daughters, Blanche, who became Electress of Palatine, and Philippa, Queen of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, suffered pregnancy-related deaths. Isabella of Valois Isabella was the daughter of King Charles VI of France. When she was seven years old, she was married to the 29-year-old English King Richard II as part of a peace treaty to end the 100 Years' War. Young Isabella said that she was happy to be Queen of England because that would make her a great lady. She was set up with her own court at Windsor Castle, where her husband, always respectful, visited her often. They had a friendly relationship, and he would often talk and joke with her and her ladies. Richard was known to prefer the company of his male favorites, so it wasn't just her young age that made this marriage a little awkward. Four years into their marriage, Richard was murdered, and Isabella was placed under house arrest by the new king, Henry IV. Isabella defied the king by mourning her dead husband. Henry wanted to marry the young dowager queen to his own son, the future Henry V, but her father refused, insisting that she be returned to France. Back home, the 16-year-old Isabella married her 11-year-old cousin, Charles, Duke of Orleans. At 19, she died, giving birth to her first child, a daughter named Joan, who lived and went on to become the Duchess of Alençon. Elizabeth of York Elizabeth was the daughter of Edward IV of England and Elizabeth Woodville of the York side of the War of the Roses. King Richard III was defeated at the Battle of Bosworth Field, and the victor had himself crowned King Henry VII. He then kidnapped the Princess Elizabeth and married her. Henry of the Lancastrians and the Red Rose and Elizabeth of York of the White Rose finally brought the two warring sides together. Despite the kidnapping and the politics of the match, the couple were actually very happy and grew to love each other. Elizabeth was gentle, kind, generous, and well-loved by her husband, children, and servants. She enjoyed music, dancing, and dice games, but stayed out of politics. She gave birth to seven children, though three died in childhood. Her eldest son, Arthur, Prince of Wales and heir to the throne, died at the age of 15. When Elizabeth was pregnant with her seventh child, she spent her confinement in the Tower of London, then still a royal residence. She gave birth to a daughter, Catherine, who died within a few days. On her 37th birthday, Elizabeth succumbed to infection contracted during the delivery. Her husband and children mourned her death deeply. 
In this illuminated manuscript, 11-year-old Prince Henry is shown weeping into the sheets of his mother's empty bed. Henry VII was encouraged to take a second wife, but no other woman could ever measure up to his late queen. Henry died a widower, making way for his son, Henry VIII. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah, the show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Jane Seymour. Jane was the third wife of King Henry VIII. After 24 years of marriage to Catherine of Aragon and three years of marriage to Anne Boleyn, Henry had two daughters but no male heir. Being only the second Tudor king after the War of the Roses, Henry was obsessed with fathering a male heir to cement his dynasty. So he placed his hopes in a young lady-in-waiting to his recently beheaded second wife. A few months into their marriage, Jane became pregnant and spent the summer in confinement, protecting the fragile life of what she and Henry fervently hoped would be the coveted male heir. In September, after three nights of labor due to the baby being in the breech position, Jane delivered Henry's fondest wish, a healthy son. Weeks later, the baby Prince Edward was baptized in grand style, but his mother was not present. She was ill with childbed fever due to an infection contracted during the difficult delivery. At the end of October, Jane died. She was 29 years old and had been queen for only 17 months. Jane was the only one of Henry's wives to receive a royal funeral. Jane's son went on to become King Edward VI, but ruled for just six years and died at the age of 15 of tuberculosis. Catherine Parr. Catherine was twice widowed when she fell in love with Sir Thomas Seymour, brother of the late Queen Jane. The pair were planning their wedding when King Henry VIII proposed to her. She was heartbroken. She wanted a quiet life and had no ambition to be queen. But she had little choice but to accept and become Henry's sixth wife. Henry boasted of his virility and complained about Catherine not becoming pregnant, but it is thought that he was most likely impotent by this time. Four years into their marriage, Henry died at the age of 55. 
Catherine was now a fabulously wealthy dowager queen, but her heart's desire was Thomas Seymour. The couple were not allowed to marry so soon after the king's death, so they wed in a secret ceremony. At 35, Catherine, who had never conceived in her three previous marriages, was thrilled to discover that she was pregnant. During her pregnancy, her husband did not remain true to her. He carried out strong flirtations with the Princess Elizabeth, who was living at her stepmother's house. Catherine even caught her husband and Elizabeth in an embrace and had to send the princess away. Catherine gave birth to a daughter, Mary. But six days later, the new mother died from childbed fever caused by poor hygiene during the delivery. She only outlived King Henry by 18 months. New widower Thomas Seymour proposed marriage to Princess Elizabeth but was turned down. He then ran afoul of his brother Edward, who was regent, and got himself beheaded for treason. Seven-month-old baby Mary was abandoned to an orphanage. Catherine Parr's good friend Catherine Brandon stepped in to care for the motherless infant. However, Mary disappeared from history and most likely died in childhood. Princess Charlotte Augusta of Wales Charlotte was the only legitimate child of the Prince Regent, later George IV, and his wife, Caroline of Brunswick. Charlotte had been conceived on the couple's wedding night, but they hated each other on sight and separated immediately after the honeymoon. George's brothers preferred bedding mistresses to marrying foreign princesses, so none of them had any legitimate children either. This left Charlotte as the singular hope for the future of the British monarchy. Luckily, she was incredibly popular with the people. The beautiful and politically moderate princess and her handsome German husband, Prince Leopold, were the Will and Kate of their day. The public followed their every move with fascination and admiration. Charlotte fell ill at the Royal Opera and it was reported that she had suffered a miscarriage. At 21, she was pregnant again. She spent most of her pregnancy out of the public eye at Claremont House, sitting for this portrait by Sir Thomas Lawrence. Her doctors were concerned that she ate heavily and got little exercise, but dithered about treatment, putting her on and off diets and weakening the princess. She went into labor on the evening of November 3rd. By November 5th, her male midwife, Sir Richard Croft, was in fear that Charlotte would not be able to expel the baby. He called for obstetrician John Sims, but then Croft decided against allowing the doctor to use forceps to pull the infant from her. It was a gamble either way, as a faster birth might have saved Charlotte and the child, but forceps often caused infection in a time before antiseptics. By 9 o'clock that evening, Charlotte finally gave birth to a 9-pound baby boy, who was sadly stillborn. The doctors tried desperately to revive the child, applying chest compresses, plunging him into warm water, rubbing him with mustard, and plying him with brandy, all to no avail. When Charlotte was told of the baby's death, she took the news stoically. She appeared to be healthy and would live to bear more children. Exhausted from her two-day ordeal, Charlotte ate a little broth and toast and went to sleep. Her husband, Leopold, who had been by her side the entire time, took an opiate and collapsed into bed. Shortly before midnight, Charlotte awoke and began vomiting violently and complaining of pains in her abdomen. Croft was shocked to find her cold to the touch, breathing with difficulty, and bleeding uncontrollably. He tried to wake Leopold, but the prince was out cold. 
Her doctors frantically applied warm compresses and gave her laudanum in wine, but there was nothing more they could do. Charlotte died at 2.30 a.m. The princess and her infant son were buried together at St. George's Chapel, Windsor. The outcry of grief throughout the country was enormous. It was said that every household had lost a favorite child. Shops ran out of black cloth, docks and courts were shut down for two weeks of mourning, and even the poor and homeless wore black armbands. Public funds were raised to build this monument to the lost princess. Three months after Charlotte's death, her midwife, Richard Croft, killed himself. The triple tragedy led to significant changes in obstetrics, particularly more liberal use of forceps and earlier intervention. Charlotte's death also sparked her uncles abandoning their mistresses and marrying in a race to produce the next heir to the throne. This resulted in the birth of Queen Victoria. But you have to wonder, how would things have been different if we had had a Queen Charlotte I instead? If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.